Welcome to the Canny Climate Dialogues, the podcast at the intersection of international education and climate action. I'm CJ Tremblay, and today will be the first in our hopefully many episodes on institutional perspectives. For our inaugural show of institutional perspectives, we will be chatting with the Director of International Relations and Associate Professor at the Strasbourg Business School, Kevin McGann to find out more about what actions on international mobility the business school does to improve sustainability when students go on international exchanges. The people who listen to this podcast and people that we talk to at various events are always asking us, what are some practical things we can do on mobility? What can we do to make mobility more sustainable? What actions can we take? So this is an important conversation to have because we need to share knowledge with each other and continue the conversation around how we can do better with the programs that we already have. Today is super fun also, because we are joined by a new Canny co-host, Michelle Evelina, who has been helping out behind the scenes with this podcast. So while she is new to you, she is not new to the podcast. Fun fact, Michelle is also my coworker at my day job and Um, we get to work together every day, all the time, um, and it's a treat. Michelle is currently the manager of test center operations at Paragon Testing Enterprises, where we work together. Michelle got into the field as she was once an international student herself and believed in the power over the international education and mobility. And you're going to hear a lot more from that, um, from her about that. Uh, She completed her bachelor's degree in architectural environment engineering at the University of Nottingham, where she had the opportunity to study in both its China and UK campuses. And she also has an MBA from the Judge Business School uh, at the University of Cambridge. She's completed several sustainability projects during her master's and after graduation, including a renewable energy project with the IKEA Group and a sustainability partnership framework project at Cambridge Assessment. Very, very cool. Michelle, my friend my colleague, my sister in sustainability. Welcome to your first Caney Climate Dialogues episode um, in front of the camera and in front of the microphone. Uh, thank you for being here. How are you? Thank you. I really, uh, I'm fine. I'm very excited to actually be in front of the camera. I'm usually the one typing behind the scenes. Yeah, this is really great. I mean, I know we saw each other like, I don't know, two hours ago um, for work. <laughs> um, Uh, We are, spoiler to everyone, we are actually recording this after uh, we recorded the interview with Kevin, Um, but it is very exciting to have you here. I, I, you know, as how I feel about you, it's a pleasure and joy to work with you at Paragon and at Canny, Um, but for the people who are meeting you and hearing you for the first time, please tell our listeners about you and your story. Sure. Um, I'm originally from Indonesia. I was born and raised in there. Um, and I'm one of the very lucky people um, that could study overseas. Um, when I was 17, I moved to China to do my uh, degree in architectural environment engineering. Um, and then I moved to the UK as a part of the 2 plus 2 program. Um, so I guess my journey with uh, sustainability kind of started from there. Um, the four years degree really focused a lot on sustainability. How do we make green buildings? How do we uh, change existing building and make it into a passive, uh, a greener and more sustainable uh, building? Um, even though I, I did that, I actually work in international education. Uh, it's uh, a passion of mine. I feel like my life was changed after uh, all the 
you know, all the education that I got internationally. And um, yeah, and I've, I've been working in that field for ever, I feel. Perfect. Um, so thank you for that. One of the things that um, I know I'm putting you a bit on the spot here, but one of the things that you've uh, shared with me in a number of conversations about um, this journey we're going on, I know you've been there uh, alongside me for this as I learn and continue to learn and you got more involved, but you shared on a number of occasions that you felt like your degree was almost ahead of its time. Yeah, that's, that's super right. I graduated at a time where um, well, I, I did come back home uh, after the UK and there was not a lot of opportunity or awareness in sustainability and green building. Um, in fact, when I graduated was sort of the boom of commodities. So like mining and all of that were more prominent. People don't really think about it back then about 10 years ago, but the world has changed. Yeah. And so I'm so interested in um you know, what it was that has made you um, hopeful as you sort of reconnect with what you had learned in your sort of formative education in your bachelor's and beyond? Yeah, um, I think there's always a part of me as I work in international education that still thinks about sustainability and the importance of it. Um, I think, honestly, climate change, sustainability, they're just a part of your life and a part of who we are as humans. So you, I can't really separate that, separate that away from me. Um, and as I, uh, I did a couple of projects in sustainability out of personal interest uh, during my master's and uh, really my kind of like my re-entrance to this is uh, when I actually started talking to you uh, about Kenny and, um, and when you started volunteering and you started uh, becoming really active and on the board and all the work that you did, I was like, wow, there's really an intersection in the industry that I am passionate about that I'm currently working in and something that kind of came back from my past that that's always on the back of my mind. Like I want to do something about it, but I don't know how, I don't know where to start. So really connecting with you on that really gave me that opportunity to find that really that intersection it's such a good you know good good term for it that intersection between international education and sustainability and we've talked you know we recently had an event on climate justice and we recently um you know are exploring that intersection not just of climate action and uh, international education but also that sort of third dimension that intersection of um, climate justice, sort of that lens on top of that as well. And I'm wondering if you're interested, if you're able to sort of share your perspective about how that connects um, to your experience, um, sort of coming from Indonesia and sort of what you learn and how that's been a part of your journey. Oh, for sure. Um, as an Indonesian, um, you know full well about the wealth of natural resources that the country has, but also at the same time, the wealth of biodiversity. Um, and the fact that at one point, uh, Indonesia was one of the largest, uh, has one of the largest forests in the world. And you see how the things really change really fast. Borneo, for example, um, is 
now very famous for coal mining or like any other types of mining. And, um, and, and you kind of start thinking about does it does all this mining help the actual people like the people um, that that uh, that live there the communities that are based in Indonesia the indigenous people in Indonesia as well um, and and the answer is no um, some might benefit from it but a lot of people the uh, the farmers for example um, because the the disruption in biodiversity also means that um, a lot of the animals died or um, a lot of the animals are they lost the space um, they actually start attacking the farms um, and all these really sad stories that you hear um, and being at the equator as well at the in that in that line um, we feel the we we feel it we feel the, the the impact of climate change the crazy flood that uh the city where i'm from experiences on a on a yearly basis in fact it's currently happening as we speak there's a big flood that is expected to uh uh to come to jakarta and so the impact is so real and the awareness is still very lacking um, in a place where the economy is growing or uh, uh, it's a developing country, you do feel that um, that you wish people would understand and see a little bit more about the impact and not just a short-term uh, monetary gains uh, out of uh, you know, doing things mindlessly. Well, thank you for sharing that part of um, yourself with everyone who's listening. Um, I am always so grateful for everything that you share with me. So um, I am so happy for our uh, listeners to get to know you more. I am uh, without question comfortable <laughs> saying that, you know, all of your experience and your passion, um, Candy is better off for it. And so I'm very excited uh, to go into this interview with, uh, for listeners to hear the interview with Kevin, it was really great. Um, but before we go into that, uh, breaking news, very exciting update for our listeners. I'm super excited for this. The Canny Climate Dialogues podcast has a presenting sponsor. How cool is it that we have a presenting sponsor? Yay. Super exciting. So as an avid podcast listener myself, like, I feel like this is how I know we've made it. Um, <laughs> you've heard, I know you listeners have heard me say a couple of times, like, how fun is it that like people listen? How cool is it that people listen? It's still cool. And that's wild, but like, we have a podcast presenting sponsor. So without further ado, sort of my first official ad read and our presenting sponsor is the University of Auckland's international office. So you might've seen... Um, I think a couple episodes ago, we put their uh, logo up on our climate uh, icon or sort of our podcast icon, but the University of Auckland's uh, international office, this is the first time we're recording a podcast where we've got sort of all that information. So we are super excited. The University of Auckland's international office is super proud to sponsor the Canny Climate Dialogues podcast series. Uh, New Zealand is a unique place to think about climate through the lens of our, their indigenous cultures. Uh, leading the world's universities in the Times Higher Ed Global Impact Rankings um, as they work towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the international team at the University of Auckland share you, our listeners, concerns about climate action and the international education. The University of Auckland is answering the world's call. 
Um, so I'm super looking forward to sharing really cool stuff that uh, University of Auckland's international office is getting up to. They do a lot of really great things. We've had a lot of really interesting conversations and figuring out the kind of information that you listeners want to hear. They have incredible um, faculty who are sharing their knowledge, um, not just about international education um, and climate change and that intersection in operations, but also just like some science and some stories and some history. So there's there's really a lot of really cool content coming that we're excited to um, share with you as part of this. So a big thank you to our friends at Auckland, at the University of Auckland's international office. Um, thanks to them, our podcast is going to be able to grow and be sustained. Um, and so as an added bonus, um, you know, the fact that I get to read ads is a uh, something that I kind of love. And so here we are, uh, official, first official uh, sponsor segment in the books. And now, thank you for staying with us. This is very exciting. Happy to have um, Kevin with us. Uh, Kevin is a business professor, at HR management, the director of international, the associate professor, an associate professor at Strasbourg Business School. He's also a canny founding member. Very cool. Um, and Strasbourg is the only school in Europe uh, who requires master's students to do a full year of exchange. So Kevin and his team um, work very closely and have a deep passion for sustainability. And there's some really practical stuff uh, that we're going to learn from him. He has almost 20 years of experience in sort of academics and senior management in international and higher ed. Born and raised in Dublin, he began his international career in the US, spent some time in Japan, and wound up in Strasbourg in 2000. Uh, so this is going to be a really great one. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll uh, play that interview with Kevin. Kevin, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? Hi, CJ. Hi, Michelle. How are you? It's, it's great. I'm delighted to be here today on this uh, Climate Dialogues podcast, my first ever podcast so I'm, I'm it's new for me and I, I'm delighted and by the way congratulations this this uh, podcast this is certainly you know it's 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 a it's an added value to the whole can I project and very relevant of its time as and, and, and bravo kudos to you both um yeah, bridging climate action issues in international higher education by bending people's ears is as good as any uh, method so Great, I'm enjoying it. I've enjoyed the past podcasts. Oh. Nice to be. <laughs> well, thank you. If I, if I'm really happy, if you're one of our listeners, that makes me that makes me very happy. <laughs> Good to know. Um, so, where where are you joining from today, sir? Yeah, sorry, I'm in Strasbourg. I'm just north of Strasbourg, so I'm in Strasbourg, France, capital of Europe, Strasbourg since 1949. And I'm actually not at my school today at the university. I'm at the, I'm in my home, which is about 40 kilometers north of Strasbourg. A very snowy day today. I just came back from a walk in the Vosges Mountains uh, during my lunch break and uh, I'm happy to report that it's good weather, blue skies and uh, yeah, so we're at the end of our evening. You're in the morning there, early morning, right? Yeah, Michelle and I are joining from Vancouver today. Uh, we're optimistic about the quality of the sun today. We're, it's not every day in the winter that you get a lot of sun, but we're hopeful um, today. Um, every bird catches the worm. <laughs> is that yeah? Michelle and I are definitely late, sort of night owls. But this is, you know, I will definitely 
I'm happy to be awake at this time to chat with you for sure. Um, I know Michelle and I are both uh, ex-business school students, so we're super excited to be talking about mobility. Uh, we both had the benefits of studying um, and doing projects in many, many different countries. Um, you know, and that said, um, I, and I've said this before on the podcast, I sometimes am uh, sort of feeling the remorse or, you know, guilt about the carbon footprint of my MBA experience. I hadn't um, been as, I was not as climate conscious of my global, I had a global executive MBA uh, that was traveled many, many, many countries. And um, I sort of face that a lot and feel like I'm going to be making up for it for a long, long time. Um, so, you know, it was just these incredible experiences, but having to face the truth, right, that the mobility aspects of these um, transformative valuable education experiences um, have a really high carbon footprint as we fly around the world and learn about cross-cultural business practice, interpersonal dynamics. Um, but you know, we know that part of the truth and believe that part of the truth um, means looking about facing that um, and what we have the power to change. So I'm really excited to have uh, that discussion on like existing programs, uh, and sort of hearing what you're doing. But first, I do, we're really keen to sort of have our listeners hear your climate story. Oh, my climate story. Interesting. Yeah, I suppose. Well, first of all, you can probably untangle it from my accent. I am in French, even though I'm at the French business school, uh, EM Strasbourg Business School, which is the business school of the University of Strasbourg. But I'm Irish and I come from Dublin, born and reared. And I left Ireland at 18, uh, I went to the United States, I went, uh, did my undergraduate in the States on a sports scholarship, and then went from there into the Up With People program, a very international program out of Denver, Colorado, was sponsored by Heinz Foods out of Pittsburgh, and it was essentially an, inter an international program where you live with 150 people and travel the world, and that was my first exposure into intercultural and mobility, etc. And then I went to Japan. I worked in Japan in expatriation training for a, a period of time and then returned back to where I came from, Ireland, to a very diverse and new Ireland, an economically wealthy Ireland, uh, repatriated and did my own, like yourself, business, master's level business, and then worked for a couple of years and then came to France. Uh, and I'm in France for the last 20 years. The reason I came before you ask me, as everybody does, is because my wife is French and I met her back in the old college days. And henceforth, I came to, uh, to France and that's I've been in France since. Now, as my role today talking to you, I'm the director of international relations at the business school here in Strasbourg, the University of Strasbourg. And I'm also a faculty member. My field is international cultural international human resource management, intercultural management, diversity management. And then I'm also the director general of the Hermes Network, which is a university network about 20 plus years old, which consists of 26 universities across the world. And again, my field, my background in, in essence is intercultural. Um, I'm a fellow of the, S, the, the Summer Institute of intercultural communication out of Portland, Oregon, a practitioner, et cetera. So that's where my heart is in terms of mobility and sending people, students abroad. So I'm privileged to have that, that job. I suppose 
I suppose I should tell you a little bit now at this stage of the, the, the institution that I work for. So EM Strasbourg Business School is, as I said, the business school of the university. University is 50,000 students, but we're the business school, about 3,500 students. And we, um, it, international and mobility is very, very much in the DNA of what we do at the business school. And I mean that very sincerely. Um, why? Because first of all, our location coming out of Strasbourg, one of the capital cities of Europe, uh, with Brussels and Luxembourg, but Strasbourg. So our geographical location, we're on the border of, of Germany, a 200 kilometer border. So there's a lot of historical uh, cross-border relations. Being in the capital, Strasbourg is also the capital of Europe. So it has the European Parliament and European institutions, the Council of Europe. So it's international by nature. And then of course the university goes back to the 16th century and it has been sending scholars across since going back to those days. The business school is unique, or it's our distinction is that we're one of the few schools, certainly in France, and I would say across Europe, and hazard to say across the world, that has a policy of obliging all of our master level students from our program, Grand Ecole, which is our big program, to go abroad, not for a week or for a month or for a semester, but for an entire year. So just to give you an overview of that, that means I, my office sends out essentially 450 students for one-year exchanges every year on a reciprocal basis. So therefore, we're bringing in a lot of international students on that basis. And then, of course, we've got field study, short-term programs and summer schools. So all in all, it's high, high volume numbers of in and out mobility. And again, it's part of our mission of the school, agile managers, global citizens. These are key words in our mission. It's very much a part of what we do. And we've been doing exchange and mobility at our school since the beginning of Erasmus, which goes back now 30 plus years, 1987. And we've certainly been on board hardcore with it. So uh, to put things into context, yeah, I, I, I'm privileged to have this job. I'm privileged to be part of an institution that values uh, international as it does. And it's, um, it's an honor and a privilege to, to, to be a part of that. You mentioned transformative earlier on. It is very transformative, uh, the work we're in. And uh, yeah, so so that's just to give you a, a context of where I'm coming from and what I'm doing. So that's really cool, right? Because you've been doing this for a long, long time, as you mentioned, and with sort of international at the core. So I'd be curious to know how you made the connection or when you made the connection to sort of sustainability and the carbon impact of what you're doing and how you came to be involved with Canny. Sure. Okay. Well, first of all, let me state from the outset that our business school, we have a sustainable uh, department and we've been on board with sustainability for quite a long time, uh, several, several years, a decade at least, and, and I, 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 it could be more. Um, where I came on board in, the, in this topic was uh, really from a personal perspective, because like you, in my job, I travel uh, a week, a month, over, every, you know, over a nine-month period. So I do a lot of binge traveling and traveling a lot across the world in this job, negotiating partnerships. By the way, given those numbers, I've got 240 partners across the world in 52 countries that we've built up that network. So I do a lot of traveling and attending the conferences. So it came to a stage where I had to ask the difficult question at myself at a personal level, first of all. Uh, in terms of my carbon footprint, but of course, for the students going out. And, you know, as we all today have to ask the difficult questions, you, you know, 
uh, I wanted to get out and say, okay, how can we put in place systems and policies to address this issue? Like everybody else, Greta Thornburg effect, she shook my tree, uh, telling us that we're uh, on the sixth uh, extinction of animals or, the, or, or you know, global warming, all the indicators and the science is there, and carbon emissions, and of course, uh, mobility is probably the biggest carbon emitter a carbon dioxide emitter in any business school and certainly in ours with our numbers. So to get back to your answer, uh, to add back to your question, excuse me, um, I went, as I say, I go to a lot of all the international conferences in higher education throughout the year. I went around looking, there's not a, there wasn't a lot of information on, there's lots of information on sustainability, but not on uh, climate action and mobility. And this is going back now about 2017, 2018, I was going to these conferences, NAFSA, API, EAIE, and I wasn't seeing a lot on this topic, to be quite frank, until I was fortunate enough to be in Singapore, where I attended the API conference at the time. I think it was 2018. And who did I bump into? Uh, only the great Alyssa Lamont, who was doing, or sorry, Elsa. She's, she always corrects me. I always have to correct her. <laughs> Elsa Lamont. And I attended a session that wasn't the only session I saw ever, it was my first time seeing a session that was based on this topic. I attended it. I was shocked that there wasn't a lot of people at this. Uh, why weren't other people asking that question in international higher education? I was fortunate to uh, have met then Elsa afterwards. We got talking, we connected. I found her, she was, she was a game changer in the, in the road as far as I was concerned, uh, because I finally kind of met someone who had the same thoughts and the same, she resonated to what I wanted to uh, get informed about. So we stayed in contact and basically, um, two yeah, 2000, that was March, 2018. I attended an EAIE conference that same year in Geneva. And again, didn't see a lot, except I came across a poster on, um, on the greening of comprehensive internationalization strategies by, by a gentleman by the name of uh, Scott Blair, who you know, I'm sure, and he lives here in Paris. And, and honestly, that was another connection. And because Scott is in Paris and Elsa is in Melbourne, Australia, I was organizing a steering committee, an advisory committee for the international relations in our school, which we do every two years. And I decided I invited to invite uh, Scott down to talk to our management and our faculty and our business contacts about this topic. And uh, so that was the sort of second step. If you, if you bear with me, the road is a little bit long here. Just bear with me. After that, that was 2018, 2019, um, I attended, um, yeah, the, the British Council. Uh, myself and Elsa, we presented, I presented a collaboration with Elsa, a, a poster on the subject at the Berlin Conference for the British Council. And over time, I got a working committee going in my own office. I have a brilliant team in my international relations office, and several of them were very motivated on this topic. So we got a working group going on green and how we could devise a policy. So we were gathering information, et cetera, using uh, Elsa's contacts and Scott's. And then we, I was invited to participate with Elsa and Scott at the EAIE conference in, where were we, Finland in 2000 and, 19. That you can keep track of all of these places is remarkable. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how I can because I go to so many of them. But just to say, just to finish on that, for me, that was the first time I ever saw a, I bumped into a real presentation and a full dedicated session on this topic. 
and it was with Elsa, myself, there was Petula was there too, and a couple of others. And that after that really was the launch of the Canai project, which was really led by, by in my opinion, Petula and Elsa as the great founders. I'm by no mean, means an expert in this field, but I was lucky enough to be at the right time to connect in. And, and like I say, they've been game changers for me. And the Canai project is exactly, it's, it's a perfect association for someone like me who's not an expert who wants to go and get that information and exchange with an alliance or, or, of, of people who have the same, like minds, who have the same interests. And uh, and that's really where I came to it. So henceforth, I'm involved in Can I attend the meetings and the great summits that we've had. And I look forward to the future. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your climate story. What I love about asking this question and what I love specifically about yours is that it kind of just came out of conversation. And to your point, when you talk about you were looking for information, you talked to people and you reached out to people that you thought might be, that, you know, I did the same thing. I just sort of inserted myself and introduced myself to Ailsa, um, where you just kind of were, were reaching out and asking for help or asking for information. And I think that you are one of the founding members to, and to your point and like mine as well, where like we weren't, experts but in the climate science climate change climate action field but we are still able to sort of take action and make changes within our institutions and i think that that's the whole point of canny and so whatever whoever is listening and wherever this finds you there's always sort of something that you can do there's always an action you can take whether it's reaching out to someone having a conversation and you just don't know what can come of this and so some of those you know, that presentation that you're talking about with you, Petulia, Scott, and Elsa, that was really kind of the start of, of something. And that's, I'm really powerful. And so thank you for sharing that. You're very well. I, just so you know, I was focusing on the student mobility piece there. You know, we were, so and that's where, of course, linked to what I do at my school. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, that's great. So Kevin, uh, building on that action part, uh, we know that you have an international mobility green policy at your business school. Uh, can you tell us a little bit on why you started the initiative and what are they? Yeah, well, the why, uh, I suppose, it kind of speaks for itself in the sense that, you know, the science is giving us all the facts and figures today, Michelle. Uh, mobility is a polluter, higher education and mobility. I forget the statistics, what, 14 megatons of pollution or between 14, I've read different statistics, up to 39 megatons a year comes from just international higher education and mobility. So we play a part into that. And of course, we've got to get urgent about this now. We can no longer be complacent. Uh, they're telling us that by mid-century uh, 2050, uh, you know, the runway is, is, is running out here. Time is against us. We've got to get uh, not just active, but we've got to be um, rapid in our actions or even, one dare I say, radical in our actions. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we've only got to look at sea levels and, and ice melting and we're off track with our carbon footprints and our, our, our global warmings. Um, you know, the list goes on. So the time has come. Essentially, we've got to deal with carbon footprint and essentially our school like so many other schools in international education, while it is a diamond in what we do, and it's the jewel in our crown of, 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 of management education, as far as I'm concerned, we do now have to address the hard issue and tackle uh, and essentially go for, dare I say, you know, zero net or net zero emissions as soon as we can. So that's the why. 
Uh, I would also add on the why, um, Michelle, you know, I believe that a manager, I'm coming from a business school, so I'm talking in terms of management. A young manager 21st century has to have the technical skills and functional skills of management, but in addition has to have the intercultural competency skills to be able to work across borders in a global world, to be able to negotiate, lead, manage, control, plan, etc., and essentially build relationships. Uh, build relationships with people who are diametrically opposed in their behaviors, their attitudes, their norms, their values. That is the challenges today. And from a business perspective, from a strategic perspective, whether it's top line, building joint ventures, strategic alliances, partnerships, etc., we need managers who have the skills to build those relationships, to negotiate, to lead and manage. Yeah. Right? Now, the reason I'm saying that is that's the mobility piece, but we've got to look at it in today's context and the future. Being technically and functionally skilled is one thing, and being interculturally competent is, in, is imperative, in my opinion, to, be, to hit the ground running as a manager. However, the key, and I see it clearly, and it was kind of like an epiphany, epiphany for me, myself, was we also have to look after the biggest stakeholder of all, I speak in a business context, but are the biggest relationship of all, which is, of course, Mother Nature, which is the planet. And you've only got to put on your Netflix these days and watch David Attenborough's Our Planet or go back to DiCaprio's Before the Flood or, or, or you know, Melanie Laurent here in France and her Tomorrow uh, program. And the list goes on uh, to see the beauty of this planet and how fragile it is and how interconnected it is. So my point is that the why is that we have to now train managers going forward, not just to be interculturally competent with global perspectives, to be effective in this world, but also to be able to be eco-responsible, eco-literate, in order to be effective and efficient with the most important relationship of all, planet Earth. And quite frankly, I haven't done it in the past, and I don't think the higher education system hasn't done it in the past, and we've been promoting international mobility all our lives and we stand over it and I certainly stand over it and I want to I will fight for it but we have to put in now this new skill set if you want to call it that which is eco-literate we want managers today to be able to have quality relationships of trust and meaning with the planet with nature and I think that's why uh, so what did we do we put in a policy uh, now let me be clear about this okay I'm here today, I've been invited on today to talk essentially about the policy that we rolled out. This is a simple policy, okay? Uh, we're in a COVID climate change and these are challenging times and priorities are, are, are on just keeping mobility alive and ticking over and looking after students all over. This is a simple uh, five-step plan that we put in place. It's a starting point and it's a starting point in a challenging time. Our goal, or the way I see it over the next decade, East is going to be the key issue, not just in education, but in finance, in society, right across the world, at universities, at finance, banks, the world, the society. And in the education field space, we've got to get that right. And I'm not here to talk about what we do at the university level on sustainability or our own business tool. I'm just talking and focusing in on the area of mobility. And that's why I said, okay, we're not going to wait post-COVID. We're going to push through this and put out, if it's a basic starting point, mm -hmm. let's get it up and running. And I will just say, Michelle, my own instinct of working with colleagues in Canai and colleagues, of course, and my counterparts across the world is, I think we've all, and Canai really has really hit that need, we all want to start 
we all believe in this, but we don't know where to get started. And, and that's what's great about Canoi, by the way, because it's exploded in this last year because it's a go-to place where you meet wonderful people who are there to help, as was Elsa for me. And all I want to say is that, yeah, it's been really important for us uh, to get this five-step plan. And I'll explain it to you when you ask, but I, it's a starting point, and that's the key point. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really interesting about the five-step plan. And you also mentioned that a lot of schools want to get started, uh, but they don't know how. Um, can you tell us a little bit of the process of how you actually started this five-step plans at yeah. uh, your, your school? Well, okay, it started again with conversations, as I mentioned before, but going back to 2018, looking around. Like I say, there was nothing off the shelf. Uh, there was no very little in the academic space, even in, lit- in, the, in the research space. Um, so again, it was through conversations and connections, etc. And then looking at our own school and our own context and our own cultural context uh, to sort of fit it to the needs of our school. And it's all about timing, you know, uh, and implementing those barriers and challenges that, you know, based on context that every school has to deal with. But the process was essentially, like I say, I brought together a group of uh, very motivated team, team members on my team in the International Relations Office who, all like you and I, like all of, every, every one of us here, are committed to mobility and international and the environment. And we sat down on a working group and took out a blank page and said, hey, what are we gonna to do to get this started and keep it simple at the beginning, but get it started so we can build it. So that five-step plan, basically, we started off with simple things. The orientation of our students, we said, let's talk about this plan to them. <laughs> let's make sure that they know when it comes to mobility, we have a plan. We put it the five steps, we basically it's broken down into the before leaving stage, okay? And basically a very, very simple thing to do. The first step was to look at our 240 partners and to put in a rubric on our internet, intranet system so that when students go to look at the universities to learn about them, to make their choices to go abroad, that every school has a rubric which indicates the carbon footprint of going by plane, by train, or by uh, car, depending on the circumstance. Just that in itself was revolutionary because it meant that students examined their choices. In our school, they got choices to go abroad, and that gave uh, an indicator of the carbon footprint. So that was step one. Shall I continue? Step two? or is, are we Yes, in? please. We really want to hear all about it. Okay. Step two then, and again, I, I, I emphasize the word simplicity, okay, uh, to start off to put some shape on it. Second thing we did was we organized a compulsory mandatory um, conference with over 500 students who came. Uh, uh, it was online, of course, because of COVID. And we invited an expert in the field. And of course, who was the expert in the field? It was, of course, Elsa Lemon who came in. And um, that was an opportunity to expose this topic to the students and uh, to really discuss the impact that mobility has on climate change, but also to address what is eco-literacy, what is eco-responsible, what does it look like? And of course, some of the climate action issues and climate justice issues uh, about global warming and the science, et cetera. And, um, and then of course, we used that as a sort of a launching pad for our policy and we introduced uh, you know, to the student how to assess their carbon footprint and introduce them to websites and help to, to calculate it, et cetera. And, uh, you know, 
given them a whole lot of ideas around, you know, preparing to fly and travel and, and how to eco travel and pick the right flights and direct flights and low carbon airlines, etc. And we also use that time to introduce our program and events for planting trees, which brings me on to the, 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 the second, the, sorry, the third point in our three-step plan, which is actually setting up uh, events to offset and help students offset their carbon footprint by essentially planting trees, taking students out in buses to go and plant trees with local associations in the Alsace region. And it's something actually we had started a year before in our bachelor's program. But of course, COVID is here and all of that has been put on hold. But at least it's up there. It's in the consciousness of the students, etc. And as soon as we can get back to making, to continue it, we will. But also plugging and, 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 and events to get that up and running. So that was the third point. The fourth point was actually when the students are on mobility, when they're abroad, that we give them a checklist for sustainable living abroad, uh, how to live, uh, you know, sustainably, to join initiatives or green initiatives in the host countries that they go to. Remember, our students go throughout the world, literally from India to Australia to right beside us here in Germany. Um, and to, 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 to you know, I could give you a big long list of all the sort of tips and advice on, you know, how to live and how to travel and how to live abroad uh, in a sustainable way, public transport, what to eat, you know, the five oars, etc. Uh, all of that, putting it in in a checklist format. And then the last um, point in our plan was essentially to say, okay, when you're abroad students, we're going to recognize those of you who come back who've done projects or blogs or are able to come back to us with best practices from your study abroad, from your, your, your experiences abroad in the green space. And uh, that's something now that we intend to do is create that, not a competition, but a, you know, a, a first prize, second prize, third prize scenario to get this ball rolling. But I emphasize it exists. We have a policy. We now have to muscle it up and as we gather information to keep the momentum going. So that's our starting point. That's Thank you for outlining that. That's yeah, that's great. really, really cool. And, you know, I love how you talk about the simplicity of it, because even though these are like simple steps, I'd be, I'm really interested to hear how, I mean, getting these started at an institution is never simple. Um, and you know, changing the, you know, changing some of these longstanding, um, the way it's always been done is, it can be a challenge. And so I'm really interested in how you navigate the complexity of getting these started. Um, you know, these, how you put these steps into place and if some were more easy to implement than others and, um, sort of where you can take that initiative on yourself. And if in some cases, um, you needed some, like a, a, a sort of, advocate to move it forward or how, and you talk about like punching it up and keeping it rolling, sort of what was needed to start and what do you, what are some things that you're expecting to have to navigate to keep it going and build that momentum? Okay. Well, it, it, essentially if you, if, the challenges in getting one, well, first of all, as I said, I've, I've, I've an international relations office team who are totally committed to this and, uh, we're biting at the bit to make something happen on this. Not just the students, by the way, because in that five-step plan, we also have this equivalent for incoming students, by the way. Okay, so not just outgoing students, but the incoming that we host the students. And then we also have a plan for our own office itself, 
in our office we have, we have to walk the walk, right? Or walk the talk, as we say. And in our office, we have a commitment to reducing our carbon, carbon because all my colleagues will, will travel to use more sustainable travel and to, uh, you know, to, to, to um, have a paperless office. Uh, even the gifts that we give to incoming students now are eco-friendly gifts. Uh, and then we also have our own created a logo. Uh, we also select partners for new partners into the network. We assess the green aspects, etc. So just to give you a sense that there was a momentum behind, you know, of a strong team behind me. And likewise at the management school itself. I mean, if I step back, we have a sustainable program that's been up and running in our school. Uh, it's built into curriculums. We have a very good online sustainable uh, certificate program, a, a platform. There's a charter around sustainability and it's inbuilt in our curriculums. And uh, the colleague, one of the one simple barrier was with the colleague who worked, who was responsible for sustainability left just before the pandemic. So there was a, you know, the recruiting process and somebody new comes in, that takes time slows down, getting to know the new person and exchanging and getting up to speed on that. Uh, other aspects was, um, as I said, if I trace this back, the challenge number one is that there wasn't a lot of information out on this, okay? The challenge number two was COVID came along and that meant all the priorities of the school were to manage and put out fires. And that was a major, as you all are aware, was a major, major stress and still is at the management school level, at the business school level, especially when we've got so many students abroad. And then also our priorities at the school were very much involved the timing around accreditation, uh, ASCSB accreditation or EPAS. We were working on a big AMBA project. So our pr priorities were at that stage plus COVID. So the timing and staff changes. And then in my own office, we had staff changes. So you're going to have all these kind of environmental issues that you have to deal with. Just because you've got the policy, it doesn't roll out uh, just like that. And then I have to say, too, from my own perspective, I'll be honest with you, too. I was saying at the outset, well, is this my job? I'm the director of international relations. Is, does this fall on? I, I'm a busy guy. I teach. I travel. I, I run an office with 11 people. I've got 500 students going out and 700 coming in. I've got full field study school, schools or summer schools. Do I have to take on this as well? Do you understand? Is it my? Isn't that like there was? Who's, but, 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 but. So these were kind of learning and challenges, but when i did put together the project and, and rolled it out to the management everybody went i mean nobody says no to a good idea and uh, full support from the, the management uh, my colleagues the dean etc and of course from the sustainability office so yeah it's just everything's about timing and and uh, and covid slowed down things yeah does that answer your question cj yeah, I think absolutely. And I'd be um, keen to know, you know, one of the things is moving it forward, you talked about building momentum. So I would say what is, um, what are you sort of leaning on and, and hoping for in terms of building, continuing to build it and not lose any momentum, particularly given that we're in kind of a, a challenging time with COVID and particularly as that affects mobility, right? So um, yeah. let's, what are you sort of, uh, you know, hoping for, needing for momentum. Yeah. Well, first of all, for COVID to go away, that would be a start. Okay. But if you can <laughs> yeah. solve that problem for me, let me know. No, but in real terms, I mean, we la I'm laughing, but COVID is not a laughing matter. It's a public health issue. But actually, the biggest public health issue coming down the line could well be uh, climate change, and it's coming fast. So to answer your question, yeah, sure. As I said, this is a starting point. Nothing is mandatory. Okay, we're tapping into the will of students. But this, you asked me before, what, one of the great uh, the students get this. You know, Greta Thunberg said it herself. 
either we're not asking for you adults to follow us we're telling you to follow us and students today you know this is an intergenerational issue this climate change this this is, is about there are gaps you know it's not the fault of the students today where we are with this and there's a strong demand from the students for these things so the students got on board uh, the students will get on board we're confident of that now they get out and plant trees en masse when the time comes, but they can't do it physically now because we're on lockdown here in, in France or on semi-lockdown. But what I'd like to see happen over time, if I had a baguette magic and I could have what I wanted, I'd like to see these things. Because remember, we're working in the context, CJ, as I see it at least, of zero net or net zero. This is becoming a non-choice issue. So therefore, we have to aim for mobility going abroad. I will fight for it till the end. However, we have to do it in the most sustainable way possible. And if that means zero net, I would love for us to be in a situation to say, you can go abroad, but you have to offset mandatory, a strategy that you must put in place to student to offset that carbon footprint, okay? To get the zero net piece. So that's one thing I'd love to, to build on. A second thing uh, to build on would be, um, you know, more planting as much as possible, not just once or twice each semester on a weekly basis, on a rotation basis. And, you know, and that takes resources and time and budgets, etc. I would also say um, for the students when they go abroad, like think about it, they go all around the world. We've got students in, in, in Canada, for example, um, is that when they go abroad, that they get involved into green issues and local issues uh, 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 and environmental issues in the host countries, you know, from India to Australia to Indonesia, etc. And I think there's a great opportunity there too to blend intercultural competence and eco-literacy to bring them together and through the prism of mobility, learn about eco-responsibility. What better way with an international flavor? So I'd love to see every student ideally down the road having to sign up for some form of real hands-on hands uh, eco uh, activity on their, their, their study abroad. Another thing I'd love to see is, is a measurement. You know, I come from a business school, everything, but if it's not measured, it can't be managed, right? We manage intercultural competence at our school. We test students on intercultural competence. We use the different tools that are available, et cetera. Wouldn't it be great too to have a, some sort of a measurement of the, uh, the eco-literacy of students as they go abroad in the international. Because remember, my students don't go away for a week, they go, for, go away for a year. And you could measure that eco-literacy, et cetera. So these are some of the, the things um, that we like to do down the line. And uh, I, I'm sure there's lots more, but they would, I, I mean, we could talk all day about virtual exchange and COIL and, and bringing in the, you know, when you talk about a policy going forward is to use coil, use virtual exchange in more meaningful ways and, uh, and diversifying, diversifying, diversifying our campuses at home. And that's certainly something we want to do. I mentioned the podcast. I also want to create a brochure. In other words, I'm talking about checklists. I want to have a brochure of our school, of EM Strasbourg. Here's what we do. Every student gets the brochure now to live sustainably abroad. That's awesome. And, you know, we can, there's so much to unpack there, but I think the most important piece that you're taking the time to share with us is like that vision for mobility. Um, and that's really great. Um, and you mentioned coils. So I'm going to do the thing where I say, dear listeners, 
if you haven't listened to our coil episode, it's the one right before this one, Kevin, it's almost like you, like I paid you to plug that previous episode. So that's great. I love the energy. <laughs> We're both very much on the same page here. Is it with Simone Hackett by any chance? It is, of course, Simone and uh, Keiko. Another a fellow national. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, two, two Irish accents for my ears. Just my favorites. This is great. River dancer, seeing river dancer, I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you know, you mentioned a lot about the, you know, the relationship um, with Mother Nature. You, there's a lot, so many different lenses of which we can talk about. You talk about just the relationship with Mother, mother Nature. You talked about the intergeneral, the intergenerational um, element of the climate action. Then there's, you know, we talk about we recently um, hosted a climate justice and international education uh summit so there's that intersection of the venn diagram of like climate change climate justice and education and there's just been a lot of conversations where we need to sort of rethink the different models and the traditional models right you know the traditional diagram with the nested um circles with uh you've got the environment is the base of it and then social and then business within that. So this is particularly interesting for business schools, right? Like I know that even a few years ago when I did my MBA, eco-literacy wasn't a part of it. Michelle, I don't know um, if you, that was part of it for you at all. No, not really as well. It's so, definitely something I would love to learn back yeah, then. Yeah. And so in, it's just, and it's just a few years ago. Right. And so yeah. I'm really wondering if you can walk us through, um, what it means to rethink sustainability specifically for like business schools. You've talked about it in terms of the literacy and the importance of management, but like, what does that look like for, you know, the, the planet and how the mobility piece connects? If you're asking me about the Venn diagram, immediately I'm thinking of the three circles and in one circle, you've got climate action and the other circle, you've got justice, uh, climate justice. And by the way, the second conference is on the 23rd of February, right? The second oh, part of- That's just, exactly right, 23rd yeah. of February. You're great, you're hired. <laughs> I got the job. Yeah, and then also I would say, then the third one is, is where I'm coming from, the education field. So um, where do I begin to answer your question? Uh, yeah, when it comes to climate action, I think we all know now that urgency, we have to act quickly. Time is running out, right? So that piece is very strong. There's 110 million tons of pollution put into the air every 24 hours, right? Animal species, uh, we, we've talked about it, all those issues and, and the science doesn't lie and 99% of the scientists are behind that. We need to act. That's the emergency. Students should know about that, okay? The climate justice piece. Uh, and again, I'm by no means an expert in climate justice, but I, I do know that, uh, you know, this climate um, topic is unfair, the unfairness of climate change. Why? Because I mentioned intergenerational, you know, it is intergenerational. It's not the younger people, the, the younger students coming through are living from our mistakes in my generation and, and, and my and past generation. So there is an inequality there, but of course there's an inequality around, uh, you know, third world countries that uh, are not responsible for creating these carbon uh, uh, emissions are very few. Uh, the G20 uh, are responsible for 80% of carbon emissions. I, I could be wrong on that statistic, it's, it's an old one. But broadly speaking, um, yeah, there's, there's, 
there's inequalities and climate justice has to be a piece of the education for a young 21st century business school manager. And I would also say that, uh, you know, uh, the education, so, so climate change, you've got the, 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 the sorry, the, the climate justice circle. And then the last circle is education. And, and, and that's where business schools or universities come in. Hey, listen, don't forget one thing. It's a privilege to go to college. It's a privilege to go to university. On this planet, there's 7.5 billion. How many get to go to do an undergraduate, let alone a master's degree, or let alone a study abroad? I mean, the figures are minuscule. It's to, to have that opportunity to go to college and university is one thing. It's a privilege and it is a cherry on the cake to have a year abroad. And as a manager, I would put it to you that our, as, as business schools, we have to make sure that those managers are, as I mentioned before, interculturally competent to build relationships of trust and collaborate across the world from a global citizen perspective. And what is global citizenship? I mean, it's about essentially addressing the issues of the day. And those issues of the day today are migration, our refugees, our terrorism, our COVID, our AIDS, our, our cancer, and of course, climate change. And nobody can do this alone, or no country can do it alone, or no state can do it alone. We have to learn to collaborate. So we got to enforce the multicultural global mobility piece, but we also have to look at, as I mentioned, the eco-literacy piece. I wouldn't hire somebody into my team in the last decade if they didn't have intercultural competence and global perspective. I asked myself, would I hire somebody into the next decade if they didn't have eco-responsibility? if they didn't know how to manage the relationship with nature. And that is the responsibility of all of us, but certainly universities and certainly business schools. Why business schools? Because we're forming managers and theoretically management is about leadership and leading back in communities, organizations, uh, nonprofits, universities. We're all formed through the education and in our business school managers. These are guys and girls who will have responsibilities. They're gonna be the leaders of the future. And the onus is on us to be able to muscle them up and educate them from the climate action piece, from the climate justice piece, and indeed from the education skills. And what are those skills? Those skills are, well, they're transferable for starters. The climate change is full of problems, right? I think we've learned that already from Kanai, from attending conferences, they're complex. What a great opportunity to learn complex problem-solving skills, you know? These are lateral thinking skills. We can learn about empathy, working on teams, respect, trust, through the prism of the issues around climate change. And I think universities have a huge role to play in that. As I do from the business school, look, as far as I'm concerned, let's take it back to the net issue. We gotta reduce our um, carbon emissions to net zero within the next 30 years. I'm saying 30 years, it's probably less. Banks, finance systems, talk to, listen in on Mark Carney's lectures uh, on the BBC, the ex-governor, he's a Canadian, ex-governor of England, uh, former governor of, of Canada, the banking system. And he talks brilliantly about how finance has to change today uh, in order to address climate change, because we all know in the Western world, everything evolves around money and banking and loans. We've got to invest sustainably. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to say is, it's not just banking and finance, education has a role to do there too. We have to prepare our managers to hit the ground running 21st century to be effective and efficient with the biggest relationship of all, which is mother nature. And that starts, we've got a role to play and we've got a great role to play in the international space. Mm -hmm.
So that's so, a long-winded answer to your to a short question. So, so that's uh, I, I guess that's sufficient uh, that you see uh, net carbon zero and building uh, managers and leaders that are eco-literate uh, as well. Um, I'm actually also curious about. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned in the beginning that you have basic mobility policies that you created. Um, in your kind of vision, what can the policy grow into? What do you want the policy to expand as we uh, learn more about this and try to apply our learnings into our work? Yeah, yeah, Michelle. Well, you know, it, it's easy for me uh, sitting here at my desk in Strasbourg or my home in Severn to sort of say, oh, I'd like this and like that. It depends on, let's be real. You know, we've been addressing this issue as a society for years and we're, we're still, as I understand, carbon emissions are still increasing. It's yeah. quite everything, right? Mm -hmm. So let's be realist. It all depends on the context of the schools and universities that we live in. And schools and universities are like political systems in themselves. And therefore, we can't, you know, we need radical change, but it's not easy to make radical change. So we have to keep chiseling away. What I would like to see in an idealistic way to answer your question is to go back to what the scientists are telling us. We need net zero. It's as simple as that, whether we like it or not. It's fascinating to see the amount of money that's been pumped into COVID to keep the economies afloat and it's great. But one day we're gonna to have to perhaps do the same from the climate change perspective. And according to the scientists, they're saying it's within the next 30 years, mid-century. Hey, mid-century is only 30 years away. And what I'm saying is, what policies would, I'd love to see carbon net zero as a mandatory requirement. You cannot go abroad unless you come back with a net zero. We'll give you three years to do it. Go wow. do it. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? And that goes not just for mobility. You could extend that right across campuses, right across businesses, right across the social our societies. But we've got to bring it down to the sort of the meat and the potatoes here. And it's about net Zero, ultimately. At least that's how I see it. And again, I'm not a scientist or a specialist in this field. Kevin, I am like, usually like this energy and, and I feel so inspired. And I know a lot of mobility practitioners um, listening to this, I suspect will feel the same. So thank you for sharing um, your passion, your journey, um, your vision uh, for where we're going to go um, and how mobility can continue to transform um, students and specifically in a business school, sort of transform the way we manage um, the business and do business differently. Um, so I guess I would ask for some final thoughts, words of, words of wisdom for our listeners. We can't self-isolate from climate change. Wow. We can self-isolate as we are, and you are probably in Vancouver today, and I am in, in, in Strasbourg, and my kids, my dogs, we're all indoors to deal, and hopefully COVID will pass. But this climate change is bigger than that. There's no, there's no mask we can wear or no vaccine, as far as I know. Um, and we, you know, we've got to look at the urgency. We've got to increase the urgency and reduce the complacency. And... Uh, it's about ultimately, you know, go back to your Venn, Venn diagram. Where's the sweet spot in the, in the middle? I say it's about values. We've got to put sustainability as a value. Go back to culture. Culture on the outside is about behaviors driven by values. 
we've got to put sustainability back into the value, the center of the onion, the cultural onion, because it'll drive the behavior. That sustainability has to be uh, put in place right across our systems and our societies, including our universities and business schools. And I'd finally say that it's all about essentially love, love of people, intercultural common, and love of the planet. And my goodness, I came from my walk in the Vosges at lunchtime and blue skies, birds everywhere, ran across it, a deer ran across my route. I mean, these are things I didn't pay attention to a couple of months ago. So it's all to play for. So let's play on. That's great. That was feels like it was a scene out of the movie you describing it. So um, that's thank you for sharing that with us. I love that. There's no cannot self isolate from climate change. Um, it yeah, is all about a, love and values and valuing sustainability as a sort of um, a, a sector and culture and sort of civilization. Yeah, and you know. <laughs> If there's no humans on the planet, there'll be no international higher education. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I say this all the time. I, I like, it's not about, it's like the planet, she's resilient. She's been here for a billion years. She'll be here for a billion more. Um, it's really about people centric and making sure that there's a livable space for us to have an economy and have international business and have international education. So thank you, yeah. Kevin. This My was- pleasure. My incredible book. and um so wonderful well keep keep the good work up and i look forward any of you to host you at em strasbourg business school in strasbourg to all your listeners you're all very welcome to visit us and i look forward to meeting my international colleagues whenever we get to travel again because i do hope we get to travel again huh? yeah and it's just going to be a different mindset moving forward right like mm -hmm. all of these conversations none of what we're doing is saying like stay home forever it's just really about doing it smarter because I don't think that we were before. Um, and we weren't realizing it was, we weren't, we didn't have all the information or we weren't considering all the information we we're making those choices. Like, yes, I'm going to go here, but I am making that choice knowing this and here's how I'm going to sort of make sure that the value is there for sort of people and the planet. So thank you again. This was wonderful. Michelle, thanks so much for being here. Now you and I are going to go work together for the for the day Just hop yes. from this podcast right into a meeting i think so this was <laughs> just great thank you so much to the both of you take the rest of the day off take thank care. you noted <laughs> thanks Kevin. <laughs> take care i'll talk to you at the, on the 23rd i'll see you there perfect bye, bye everybody thank you bye the canny climate dialogues podcast is engineered by diego mendez who is based in vancouver he edits these episodes together, making us look and sound super professional. And also he uploads these episodes to wherever you listen or watch this podcast.